Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Okay. This is from a female. I find myself sad when I have feelings of joy, whether that be watching a favored, um, loved movie, listening to a song, or right after sex. I feel an overwhelming sense of sadness. Is it due to lack of trust? Is the in thus in this example, a line from a song popped into my head uh, right after sex? Making love to you was never second best. Is that reflective of my disbelief that he's satisfied with only me? Self-esteem is uh, on my part just trauma that uh that can work its way out today is a year since disclosure oh i bet there's something with that thank you for sharing thank you for sharing thank you for being here and dr rob well grief so i guess one of the things i want to say one of my favorite sayings and i think this is really true is that that feelings have no time so if my dog were to die today, I would be grieving, but I'd also be thinking about, or at least feeling the death of my mom, the death of, you know, it all kind of follows itself. So, you know, there may be moments in a movie or in a moment where you might be a little sad in the past, or you might've felt a little touched, but now those feelings are all tied up with what you're dealing with. And it just gets pulled into all of it. And then you question, well, why am I feeling all of this? Because you're grieving because your whole world has been turned upside down and it takes a long time to reorient it. And to all of you spouses, you know, for the, no matter how great a job we do in recovery, for you, it's a long haul challenge to ever rebuild trust. And uh, so I completely understand that. And another thing where you might've sat with that movie and reached out to that man and took his hand and you were to comfort each other, you're on your own now at least in terms of trust and feeling. So I just would be kinder to yourself. I don't think there's anything wrong with you. I would always think about, by the way, depression and how my function in other areas of my life really important. Are people saying to me, you're doing okay? Or do you seem kind of, you know, check it out with other people. But beyond depression, I mean, a year is not that long. And by the way, anniversaries mean a lot. Like the anniversary of when someone important to me passed, sometimes I don't even know why I'm sad that t- at that time of year, but it's something about the weather, something about the, you know, and all of a sudden I'm sad and I have to think about, oh, right, so-and-so died on the, you know what I mean? So also, all of this brings up feeling of connection, but you're disconnected, love and partnership and friendship, but you're not any of that really right now. So I would just be kind to yourself. I think you're going through what every spouse goes through on some level. And I bet some of those would jump in and say, me too. Um, yeah. Thanks, Tammy. What do you think? No, I, I, I really agree. And, uh, you know, and just I, the compassion for yourself, but not overthinking, like how I'm supposed to feel, how you feel, it's how you feel. So, um, yeah, are there some things that you can do to, you know, to find joy, hopefully, um, but those moments, like you said, the movie, the song, and you know, all of those things, I can understand that making a, oh, oh, and especially if you weren't thinking it was going to happen those then they kind of oh you know and hit you so can i add to that also that sure. um well yeah i just think anything it's not necessary you go ahead we got lots of questions mm-hmm. next question my father is a sex addict and mom is a compulsive gambler they are divorced have been for a long time i haven't talked to my father in two years and my mom is always 
surrounded by financial chaos? How do I balance being grateful for what my parents have done for me and distancing myself from them and the problems that they throw onto me? If I don't call my mom for a while, she will text, you don't love me anymore, or children are supposed to call their parents. And those text messages trigger me and bring on guilt and leads me into my addiction. Oh, thanks for being here and sharing. I'm writing notes. I thought so. Sometimes I look down, you guys, I'm just writing notes about this. So there's a couple of things. I mean, so I want to tell you a story about my sister. And this is true, but I don't think she's watching. Um, I've had 25 years of therapy. She's had none. We grew up in the exact same family. So as you can imagine, we have different perspectives on life. And when issues come up that are difficult or troubling to talk about, what I usually hear is, why are you bringing this up? Why are you talking about it? In other words, I'm in a relationship where I always feel like I've done something wrong. It's my fault. It never feels good. And I decided that I wanted to keep that relationship because this was an important person to me. So Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, being in touch, that was good. Spending a lot of time together, not so good. So I think a lot of it is about boundaries. Um, how do you, so what I did in that situation, I would go have dinner and then I'd stay at a hotel. You know, I would limit phone calls to a certain amount of time. I would have boundaries for myself that left me feeling um, maybe a little more distant, but still connected in ways that worked for me. I took control over how that relationship went rather than letting it just happen to me. And the other thing I wanted, and by the way, parents in particular, the, the one thing that I say to all the clients, and I'll say, say this to you, I really kind of like thinking about this way is we all love our parents. We all value our parents. We all, whether they were good or bad or right or wrong, there's always a part of us that will love our parents. So the question is, especially in treatment for us at our treatment center, how do you pick apart the pain, the anger, the disappointment, even if you're not aware of it, how do you get all the way there um, while still respecting and the people who raised you and the fact that they did? And the way I think it's best to look at it is this way. I think that in my case, my parents did the best they could to love me. I mean, they didn't know how to parent. My mom was mentally ill, my, you know, whatever the issues were, but they did their best and full sentence, full stop. And it wasn't what I needed. They did their best, but it wasn't what I needed. So these people who raise you, maybe they want, they want some kind of connection, but it may not be one that's healthy for you. So I don't think you have to blame them, shame them. You just have, in fact, what they're doing is irrelevant. What matters is how you're approaching this issue. And by the way, all you spouses, this is true for your, your addict spouse as well, is how do I be around them and be respectful and we have kids or whatever, but also keep myself safe and have that kind of boundary. Um, there is one more thing. Oh, I just want to say one more thing. I don't know if you think about it this way, but your parents were mentally ill. I mean, I don't, I know we don't like to hear this, but I'm old enough. I have enough experience to say this addiction is a form of mental illness. I mean, like any other mental illness, like depression or anxiety gets triggered under stress. We have to constantly monitor it. We have to make sure we're taking care of it. I mean, it really isn't that different in terms of the, our emotional lives. So a different way of thinking about your parents might be both of my parents were quite ill. They were really troubled and disturbed. And if they're still around and they still are, that's a much less kind of pejorative thing to say about them. And it makes me feel a little bit better. Like, oh, I wasn't just raised by these parents who could have done something about their addiction, but didn't. I was raised by people who were too ill to do what I needed for, from them. 
Um, so anyway, that's my big answer is you can respect and love these people. And you can also see that your needs were greater as a child, not greater than any other child, but greater than they could uh, give you. And as a result, there are deficits. Um, Tammy, I'm not sure if I got everything, but. Well, I've got more. So good. Pro-dependence. Dr. Rob wrote this book about loving people who are broken. You may find it's not your fault. It's not your responsibility. But and then this one, neglect the silent abuser It's for parents like Dr. Rob shared. Sometimes they just don't have the capacity to to parent what you needed. The other thing, and you don't say if you're male or female, and that doesn't much matter. But Dr. Ken Adams did a podcast with Dr. Rob about enmeshment and what I felt with mom is you know the the you don't love me you need to be close to me you need to pick you need to be here and take care of me despite the negative consequences for you so Dr. Ken Adams did on sex love and addiction podcast did a podcast with Dr. Rob I would invite you to to look into that Dr. Ken Adams has uh, overcoming enmeshment website too um, and more information you can always email me Tammy T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com if you want more information on that. But that's what I picked up was the enmeshed possibly too, so. Narcissistic parenting. It's yeah. all about the parent. Okay, next question. I am a love addict and cannot seem to rid myself of obsessive blaming negative thoughts of my ex who I had a six month affair with. She is engaged and I am single. Can you share any practices to calm my ongoing running thoughts? Well, I don't know if I can do that, but I'll give you some sort of thoughts about this, which is I run a lot into, and again, remember Tammy said at the beginning that we may not specifically answer your question, but we're answering these questions in a way that might help everyone. So I can think of a number of occasions where I've, as Tammy said, I've been on in the rooms on Friday night and some woman will most often a woman will say to me, I don't understand why I still miss my ex. It's been eight months or a year, and and he was abusive to me. Like, it was a really awful relationship. I shouldn't miss this person. And of course, connection is connection is connection. Love is love. And you cannot, just because someone is awful to you doesn't mean that the deep sense of love completely goes away. And when they leave and they go away, yeah, a six-month affair is long enough to really want to think about, want to keep in your mind. And here's the other thing. Uh, I don't know about your childhood, but I survived on fantasy. I didn't have many folks to, I didn't get much care. So I had places in my head to go that made me feel better. And that's how I survived. And I would say to you that absent a loved one, absent that connection, absent the attachment that we will in our heads grab for the most recent one. So in my loneliness and, you know, which is, fine, you're single, everyone's lonely, but, but love addicts, because the loneliness is so scary, we stay connected in our heads to the fantasy of what we had before, because at least that's better than being lonely. So you might say that this is obsessive kind of addictive thinking. There are two ways to address this. One, you could work a 12-step program around this. You could get a sponsor in S meetings. You could write about this. SLAA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, is a great, I love that program, 12-step program. And um, when you have running thoughts and you're obsessing about someone or something, I can tell you the best place, in fact, for both of us, I think the best place that we find ourselves going is among a, gr a group of people who also obsess and get crazy and have negative thoughts. And then we feel better because we realize we're not alone. 
And I guess that's most of all what I want to tell you is what you're saying certainly deserves, um, doesn't deserve your being angry at yourself at all. Well, and I was thinking too, the, the more I focus on, on what I'm trying to not think about is the more I focus on that. So the more I get out, like going to a 12 step meeting, it's great. Cause I get out of myself and, you know, I'm connecting right. with other people. So anything I can do to turn my attention outward instead of what I'm missing, you know, can be really useful for me. So, okay. Can I just say one more thing about that? I mean, that again, we, mm -hmm. I said, turn to 12 step programs. Part of that is doing service. And honestly, as a therapist, I have to tell you guys, this is a little bit of a bad thing that's happened, I guess, over the years. But some days when things are really bad and I go do therapy with others, it is such a relief because I get to focus on them. And I'm really good at helping people with their issues. I grew up doing that since I was two. The issue is I also have to be able to go home and take care of myself and have a solid foundation. I can't. But it is nice to be able to focus on others and help them. And you will feel better about yourself regardless of what's going on. Thank you, Tammy. That was right. That was good. Okay, next question. I am the partner of an SA. He has been in recovery for eight months and appears to be doing very well and is being very sincere. And I've noticed behavioral changes. Yay. I asked a question about a month ago about these relationships with prostitutes. My husband was exclusive with one for six years and a second lady for two years and in fact fell in love with a second prostitute. Part of Dr. Rob's answer to me was, my concern for you is that your husband split the relationship so profoundly to have a deep emotional connection with a sex worker. Could Dr. Rob expand on what he meant by this and offer some clarity? Thank you for all you do. Well, I, I think many of the female spouse's worst fears in my experience are that the addict fell in love with somebody else. I think that is, you don't like that we had sex with other people. You don't like that we lied to other, but one of your bigger fears is, do we have an emotional relationship? Because that really is a, a that's an even more profound wound and thing to grieve over, I think for anybody, but especially for how women experience their relationships. And, and so, um, and so um, I, I think your husband is broken in terms of seeking things from others that he already has. I mean, he's not seeking to have casual sex with this person or that person, or he may start out that way, but he ends up in this, basically what I see, and I'm so sorry to say this, is your husband's probably committed bigamy. He's been with you for years, been with someone else for years, it was consistent, he loved you, he loved them. We have a word for this. If all of you live together, we call you a thruple. Um, actually, that is the term for three people, but um, I'm being light. But the truth is, I think... I, Everything I read here, Tammy, and I know you're going to want to comment, eight months is not enough time to come to terms with what's happened to you. I think what I hear is someone who's more focused on what he's going through, what he thinks, how he looked at things, and what he did. And I would really encourage you to shift your focus to how could this motherfucker do this to me and ruin my life? excuse my language, but I, I like the anger in that. I like the intensity. I said it for a reason. Um, sometimes I do couple sessions um, or I do consultations and I, I'm not doing therapy, but I do do it. And I have to tell you very often, and Tammy sets these up so she knows the people who call for them. And it's so typical that I'm in front of a couple for two hours and this partner is angry and you can see it, but they don't quite say it and they don't quite hear it. And my role in that couple session is, or couples, uh, uh, what do I want to call it? Uh, evaluation or, you know, just giving you information. Um, 
I often have to speak for the spouse. I also will say very direct things to the person who's been acting out because the spouse really struggles with that. And I would say, you know, love is a difficult thing when the person that you love destroyed your life. Remember the words I used before? So I would suggest you drop in on some of the spouses support groups that we run that are absolutely free. Um, and, and I would really spend some time reflecting on what you have given to the relationship and what you've gotten and what your spouse has given to the relationship and what he's gotten. And then take a look at the balance. A lot of spouses say things like, he was so distant all the time. He was never really here. I felt I have three children, but I felt like I had four. I mean, when you really take a good look at what you've been through, I think there's going to be more there, there than he seems very sincere. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Tammy, do you have thoughts about that? Help me yeah, out it, you know what really struck me was the second lady. And I don't know why I'm having such a hard time with that. And maybe you can help me. But, you know, it's like, you, you know, like he's elevated her to the second lady and this whole relationship and all of this and and you know like you're being so kind and gentle and what you know i know many sex workers you know there's a bad histories and all that i'm not knocking that but but like you know like you're being so kind instead of he was with a prostitute he was with a sex worker he spent money that should have gone to your family right. on for eight years for eight years, he was taking, and if you're ultimately rich, great, you know, uh, I, whatever, but, but most people, that's a hardship for, you know, the thousands and thousands of dollars they get, you know, waylaid to support somebody else, you know, for this fantasy relationship, you know, that is, is not really real. So, but the lady, second lady struck me. I, I want to just validate that, Tammy, I've had, uh, it's not unusual for men to spend tens if not hundreds of thousand dollars on this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it is worth, and, and believe me, you spouses are very surprised when you hear that $45,000 somehow left your bank account or your kid's graduate you know, college account and ended up in somebody else's hands. But the, um, but the other piece about that, and Tammy really said it well, but I wanna add to it. Tammy talked about the financial deficits that were stolen from you. I wanna talk about the time. How many hours did this man spend focusing on someone else that could have been focused on you and your family? If he has children, if you have children, how many hours could he have been playing with them, enjoying them, celebrating them, as opposed to being with someone else? So just one more thing that may comfort you. He may think he's had a great time and a great run, and, but so many of them I work, men I work with, and I see this at Seeking Integrity, which is our treatment center all the time, is that the men don't really turn around and they realize, oh my God, I missed so much. I wasn't really there emotionally when my kids were going through this. I, my, my spouse was really sick and I wasn't supportive. If we turn this around and stop, look, you know, this is what treatment does, I think a lot of times, we start to think about, maybe don't think about you guys, empathy, but we do start to think about what we could have had with our children or with you or other family. And I think, no disrespect to Tammy, but I think that's the bigger loss than the money is the loss of time, focus, and attention that you and your family deserve that you didn't get. Now, the money is a representation of that. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I And I agree. I, and that's a, that's a great point. And I'm also thinking, well, if you go, well, he was only doing it during work hours. Well, then Ooh. he probably wasn't, you know, he wasn't as successful at work because his focus is somewhere else. And he, you know, so, so whichever way you slice it, you know, right. time and money issues and, uh, and, 
Yeah. And, love. and I'm glad you're seeing different behaviors, but like guard your heart. Cause I, you know, I think there's a lot more. So, okay. Next question. Can a love addict who is involved longer term with several sex addicts who were in denial or just not wanting to change anything still be practicing prodependence and be honored in their attempt to love? Oh, I'm so confused. Let me read that again. Can a love addict who is involved longer term with several sex addicts uh, who were in denial or just not wanting to change anything still be practicing prodependence and be honored in their attempt to love? You okay. probably get I think it. I got this. Yes. Okay, thank you. The answer is I honor all attempts at connection and all attempts at love. Now, you spouses may not feel this way, but actually I absolutely see every single sex addict I work with acting out with someone or porn or whatever in an attempt to connect. I mean, if you simply take the sex out and everything else, it's an attempt to make some kind of connection that they are unable to make at home or don't know how or are scared to. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think all of this is, um, is not something that you should be really blaming of yourself because we're meant to pair bond, we're meant to connect, we're meant to, but I would question how you choose these people. <laughs> you know, um, I say all the time and in the rooms on Friday nights, I get this constantly. I've had so many dates. I always date the wrong guys. They're always really broken. I always date the alcohol. And then I think, I love this line. It's so sad though. I was dating someone or live with someone or married to someone who was all of these things. And I thought I'm going to get involved with someone who's the complete opposite. And then they do, but they didn't realize they moved from an alcoholic to a sex addict. You do. It's just, so here's the deal. We, those of us who have these issues are not very good at picking people. We're not, we pick the wrong people. What's the, now you could spend 12 years in therapy working on how that came to be. And I'm a big therapy proponent, but you would still pick the wrong people. <laughs> so if you're in a 12 step program, for example, I think people like your sponsor and other people around you, you just give them control over everyone you date and all the decisions. In fact, when I was in early recovery, this is a little embarrassing. Um, I didn't make any decisions of my own around sex. If I wanted to be with someone or myself, I had to call my sponsor and say, hey, I want to do this. Is this okay? And if they said no, that's what I listened to. So I think guidance, people get hopeless about always picking the wrong person. I say, why bother? Just get a bunch of people around you who know you and know what you want because they're not falling for this person. And this is the problem of being a love addict. And I'll shut up, Tammy. I know I'm going on and on is that um, this is what it, let me just say what sex addiction is, what love addiction is and how they're related. Sex addiction is, if I'm an active sex addict, I am objectifying, I am seeing people as parts. They are a butt, they are some arms, they are a crotch, they are breasts. And I just get really excited and intense about getting that object with me sexually. That's, I think, actually, um, let's call that undergrad for sex addict. Graduate school is being a love addict, but it's still not all the way there. And what is love addiction? It's when I look at someone and I don't see them clearly for who they are, because my need for connection is so great that I see them more for everything I think they can give me than who they really are. In other words, my need exceeds my intellectual ability to see who they are. And then I pick the wrong person out of need. And then a year or two later, I think, oh, why did I get involved with this jerk? Well, because you weren't looking clearly. You were just feeling your way into the relationship. So if you get lost in emotions and picking the wrong person, get a bunch of people around you to make those decisions. There are also dating coaches. 
And if you tell them about your experience, they're, they're the real thing. They're live. They're good. And they will walk you through. I worked, I worked with a kid who had Asperger's. I mean, he had a really difficult time connecting socially and we hired him a, a, a dating coach and the dating coach would go into clubs with him and tell him what to say and tell him how to say it. And he would say, text this person, this, and I just have to tell you, he's married now. <laughs> so it does work. If you get help, if you try to figure this out on your own or any of this doesn't work too well. So I'm <clears throat> typing in the chat. There is a dating site. Um, Ken Page did a podcast with mm -hmm. Dr. Rob. And he has, I think it's called Going, no, it's up. No, it's called DeeperDating.com. DeeperDating, thank you, thank you. DeeperDating and um, uh, dating site. So I'm, uh, but on on the podcast, uh, Sex, Love, and Addiction, it's on there. But also I put a link to the Super Saturday Recovery Summit. He did a, a video on there as well. So that would be a good start for those of you that have been challenged to, to date. That might be a first step. So he's very good, by the way. He really gets it. And I think the, the, the date, what he does is great. Well, and what he does is he, like Dr. Rob was sharing, he's really struggled with dating and never thought he'd find anybody. And then he had people that supported him. And so, so it, it, what you were saying is what his experience was and he's successfully in a relationship. So, okay. Next question. Can you be asexual and a sex addict at the same time? I don't know what that means. So let me just explain why. Uh, to be asexual means basically you avoid sex altogether. That includes masturbation, touching yourself, letting anyone touch you, all of that. It's out. So being asexual means no sex at all. So sex addicts tend to have sex. Now, there are people who compulsively masturbate. There are people who compulsively engage with porn, and you could say they're asexual in the sense that they never engage with people, but, um, but sex addicts are required to be a sex. It's like, being, can you be an alcoholic? That question is really great. Can you be an alcoholic if you don't drink? It's like, well, no. You know, you might have problems, and, but alcoholism is not one of them because you don't really drink. So I, I'm not sure what the question is. Um, by the way, there's a new term. I don't know if I said this to you, Tammy, and apparently it's what people are using it's called solo sexual and solo sexual are people who have had enough experience of decision decided they don't want to have sex with other people and they only want to be sexual with themselves and apparently that is a choice and i i say whatever works for you is great as long as you're not hurting someone else um comments or on hurting yourself or well, yourself yeah i mean because um, there are people that have too much solo sex and hurt themselves physically so so um, yeah, so I think it would be a question of what you deem to be asexual. There are lots of people who only look at porn and masturbate, but do it so compulsively that it's problematic. Now they kind of get, I mean, we treat them at, at Seeking Integrity Treatment Program, but so more will be revealed. Email me if you've got questions. Okay, next question. It's been three years since D-Day. I'm the betrayed partner. I'm still with my partner. We have a 13 year old daughter together. We live together. She knows we don't have normal loving relationship. We still sleep in separate bedrooms. When is it a good time to sit down and tell her why? Do you have any recommendations on how to tell her? Thanks. Do you want to start that one, Tammy? That's a big When question. is a good time to tell her? Never, never the why's because I suspect it would be 
your husband betrayed and he was unfaithful and you know so i mean it's still her dad so it can be that we are struggling with our relationship we've got some issues you know all of those things are fine she's not stupid she's going to understand that um but please no kid i don't want to know about my parents sex life and i'm like way old i just don't so so please don't don't further traumatize her thoughts tammy you were so wise i agree completely it no child wants to know about their parents' sexual life, whether they made mistakes or did it right. I don't even want to think about that. Even now, that's their business. But the other thing that I really want you to think about this, because this is the issue comes up in treatment. And Tammy, I don't know if I've actually talked to you about this, but the problem with telling kids or even young adults is that they take sides. And then if you're trying to work out a relationship, you've got your kids saying, no, 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 look what you did to mom or whatever it is. And then you, then you're caught up in the struggle of, well, my kids are this and I love them, but they're part, you know, my partner is. So I really, not only for their own mental health, but for any ability you might have. And think about this. How, how will your children look at you and your spouse if you tell them this? Will they ever be able to see their father in the same way as because he hurt their mom? And the answer is no. So I suggest, as Tammy said, we've been distant. We've been really working on a relationship. You can, and then validate their experience. It's really important. That's how I went crazy. No one told me it was going on in my house. Tell them, I'm sure you guys know that dad and I have been distant. We've been having a lot of issues. You know, we've been more friends lately than mom and dad, but, but and the other part, it's not your fault. Don't worry about it. There's nothing you could have done to make this happen because kids automatically, number one, think it's their fault on some level always. And number two, they need to know what reality is, but they don't need to know the details. It's not like you're talking to a spouse or, you know, something like, or a therapist. They don't need to know. They just need to know the emotional content. We've been really struggling. You're probably aware of that. Something like that. Tammy, do you have thoughts and if, about that? Yes. And if you are the betrayed partner and think, oh, they will side with me, don't always bet on it. I can't tell you how many partners wow. have reached out. No, seriously. They, I, I didn't know partners, that. Oh, yes. Where the partners are going, you know, the kids blame me if I hadn't treated dad differently, better, you know, if I had done. Um, no, I get that frequently. So it isn't just, oh, it'll take sides and they'll side with me. And I'm the don't. It's, you know, and, and honestly, you know, I, I think about adult children of alcoholics, you know, and, you know, the, the, the challenges they've struggled with. And I am confident that there are issues. And so the more that you know, we can support the kids so that they aren't further traumatized and don't have to deal with those issues. And just know that their parents both love them, you know, despite the, you know, this, despite the mess that they find themselves in. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.